Anything that ever goes wrong with the show goes wrong during the top half hour. Nothing's going wrong. Not if we can get through the top half hour. Mortals. Jeremy? Vespas likes to play the full 60 minutes. Give me one more Forget hit. about it. Danny. It's not important. In three, two. Good evening from New York City. I'm Dan Rydell alongside Casey McCall. Those stories plus we're going to take a swing through the NFL where there were more than a few upsets yesterday. We'll take you out to Pauley Pavilion for a Pac-10 matchup you won't believe. And we'll take you out to Watkins Glen for a NASCAR rules explanation we can't understand. All that coming up after this. You're watching Sports Night on CSC, so stick around. We're out. We're in commercial. Two minutes back, 28 minutes to go. Hi, I'm Steve Cimino. I'm Adam Amin. And this is Those Stories Plus, the Sports Night Podcast. How are you doing tonight, Adam? This is a night where we are recording this after the presidential debates, and I just got off a flight from Seattle, and you and your wife have both had a long day, and we're still going to knock this out because we are professionals and troopers, and frankly, it's the best distraction that I could come up with right now. I feel, last episode we talked about how old I am now, and I've never felt older right now, because it's <laughs> only 10 o'clock, and I'm like, oh my god, what's you are, happening? You are dragging heavily, my friend. I'm, I'm sitting here watching politics and getting steamed up and... Then I'm like, wait, it's 10 o'clock and I still have things to cover? What's going on here? Yeah, I know. It's it's a rough day. And uh, I, I, I've i been wobbling emotionally all day long with a lot of like crazy stuff that's happened in sports and things that I've been covering and now, you know, watching a political debate. So it's been a it's been a wobbly day, I think, is the best way to describe it emotionally. And I think it's fitting that we're discussing an episode like this. I agree. Well, at least we get something something positive and fun to, to end the night on at the very least. We are today discussing episode 8 of the first season, Thespis, one that uh, I know you have been looking forward to for quite some time. It was uh, written by Aaron Sorkin and, of course, directed by Tommy Shalami. I think this is probably, and I know we keep saying it, and it's and maybe it's becoming redundant, but I really, really enjoy this episode. I think it's a great mix of funny and serious and really at the end of it all positive emotion i think it's a really good balance of a lot of different things so that's why it's probably one of my favorite episodes of this first season i'm gonna agree with you there i know a, a couple of episodes ago i kept praising it as being like the perfect example of a sports night episode but as it develops and as we see more and more this one is now taken over that role i think it's really got the balance of the funny and the drama and the snappy witty dialogue and the little sneaky kind of things that come back and it's it's an excellent episode to uh, really show off if you were to like to pick, of the ones we've seen so far, if you were to pick one episode to show someone who'd never seen it before, I think this would be the one. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's always an interesting question, and I think maybe that's how you end up ranking how you feel about a lot of these episodes of whatever TV show happens to tickle your fancy. I feel like that's how you, I think that's how you judge these episodes, the quality of an episode. Is this the one you would show to kind of give somebody a sense of what this series might be all about you know and i've had that discussion about several tv shows and this is probably one of the ones i would i would lean towards because it it exemplifies i think a lot of different things that aaron sorkin stands for in terms of his writing style and the topics that he's willing to, to go after and how he balances relationships and drama and, and like you said humor in the in the same mix of an episode so let's uh get into this thing our synopsis for the episode uh it's november 23rd the anniversary of dan and casey's first broadcast the birthday of isaac's first grandchild the day dana attempts to prepare a thanksgiving turkey and the day the show starts to fall apart that's it's that's a really up and down type of synopsis it's really lifting you up and then just going well the whole thing's coming coming it just struck me how many 
complete. You don't even need to watch the episode. There's just like spoilers <laughs> galore in that opening right there. Yeah, this is not. I don't think their goal was to get you to watch. Their goal was to tell you exactly what happens, assuming that you've already watched or are planning to. Anyways, we have a definitive date, which I don't think happens very often. It's in TV shows. It's November twenty third. It is nineteen ninety eight, and very rarely, I feel like, do does a television show want to nail down and say this is the exact day that you are experiencing it. This is the exact time that the show is taking place. I don't care about where it lives in a vacuum in your life. It is this day in time. Right. I think it's awesome that the original air date is November 17th, 1998. So they're right there within a week, which is cool. So it's almost like you're watching it in real time, which is pretty sweet. I actually just uh, covered in my classes, we read the famous Shirley Jackson short story, The Lottery, which has a specific date. It was June 27th, and that date was picked by the editors because the issue of The New Yorker it was published in came out on June 27th. So that was wow. like the one change. And I think that's a cool... You're right. You don't really get that. Usually it's like, oh, it's Christmas time, or it's around, uh, it's around Thanksgiving, but here we get a very specific date. Well, let's see what was going on in the fictional November 23rd, 1998. We open up the show with Master Control. This is one of only a few times we get this, but we get that Master Control coming on saying, you're up on Router 7, have a good show. So we're right at the beginning of the episode, and we start off with, I think, some of our favorite things. The the control room antics as they're trying to figure out how to spell Andrew Jones and Chris Collinsworth, which are two weirdly spelled names. Yeah, Chris does not have an H, like... Chris itself in Collinsworth, C-R-I-S, and Andrew Jones is spelled A-N-D-R-U-W, which was always entertaining anytime I would uh, I would see him in the paper and go, how do you say this name? Chris Collinsworth, I was just watching this weekend uh, when he was calling a football game, and I always smile seeing him because he hosted a... Uh, video, I, the VHS I still have called Last Second Miracles, where he just recounts all these like famous comebacks throughout oh, the history wow. of sports, and he for whatever reason was the guy they chose to narrate it, so when I see Chris Collinsworth I immediately think of great comebacks and these legendary moments and specifically Ralph Branca being interviewed about giving up the Bobby Thompson oh, home run, God. which also comes up, but Ralph Branca keeps referring to himself in the third person, and for years I didn't realize it was actually <laughs> Ralph Branca talking that is incredible. And you're right. Obviously, that that moment, the Bobby Thompson home run, is uh, a focal point of an episode of Sports Night. But that's incredible. Wow. I didn't. Yes. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Not, we're we're way off on a tangent already. But like <laughs> Chris Collinsworth, I had to. I had to no, mention that's, that. That's totally fine. I met Chris before actually, and he was uh, he's a tremendously nice guy. I, I can give you that. And I'm a big fan of his. When Good. It comes to TV, so. I'm gonna give you my copy of that tape to get autographed I, next time I, you I run will, into it. I will absolutely take that from you. <laughs> so we start the show with. Uh, Elliot walking into the control room asking why there's a 20-pound frozen turkey up on the light grid. So we know we're off already into some antics in this episode. I feel like we're going to we're gonna feel maybe more more slapstick maybe than we've had, but you know maybe not. I, I, I think that's, it's setting yourself up to, to see a lot of different angles. Uh, I know that's kind of a weird thing to say about this episode, but I just I, I remember sitting down and watching it for the first time and not really knowing what to expect. And then after all this time going back and watching it, I still didn't remember all the little details. And I thought, I think there's a lot of different angles that we're going to see this episode come in from. And I don't think that's too far off base. Definitely. This is one where there's a lot going on. There's a lot of small stories and you're right that the main thread sticks in my mind. But then as I was watching it again to take notes, I started seeing like, Oh, I forgot about that. Or, Oh, that's a detail I missed or just hadn't thought about for quite some time. Dana is having her family come over for Thanksgiving, 18 people in fact, and she 
doesn't want to mess it up, basically. It's the first time she's done this. She doesn't want to take crap from her mom, as Natalie says. And it's true. But my question then becomes, does she plan on thawing out the turkey in the light grid on actual Thanksgiving Day as well? Because otherwise, she's not really getting an accurate like thawing time here. Is she, she going to stop by the studio and turn on all the lights and thaw it all out and hope that it's, you know, oh, well, it took 25 minutes per pound when I did it in the studio. Is that really going to be... You know, I, I totally agree with you. It's a very odd thing to try to do. And who really, I mean, did she go up in like in the catwalk of the lights and like go above the studio and set it there herself? <laughs> or did she, you know, ask somebody on the crew to do it? I'm thinking, lot, I'm thinking union of, rules I'm, came into play. Some, yeah, some grip say, got asked. A lot of unanswered questions in this, uh, in this act. So we get to the desk where the guys are sitting down and Dan immediately jumps into Casey. Do you know what day today is? It's Monday. What else? Uh, it's November 23rd. What does that mean? Come on. November 23rd. What happened on this date? Boston College upsets Notre Dame. Wrong. Gretzky's 500th goal. Think. Alberto Salazar wins his fourth New York Marathon. No. Alberto Salazar wins his third New York Marathon. Casey, you're not... Does it have anything to do with Alberto Salazar or the New York Marathon? No. Let me take one more stab at it. Go. Alberto Salazar wins his second New York Marathon. Casey. Well, what? Come on, what is it? Forget about it. Come on. No. Forget Come about on. It. Forget about it. Come on. So Casey seems to be stumped, but he's got a lot of ideas. Did any of those things that he named show up on your list you were just looking at, by the way? Well, um, not on that particular list. I was actually looking up when he scored his 500th career goal, and I wanted to see if it was like an exact day or if it was anywhere remotely close to it. And I found Wayne Gretzky scored his 500th goal on November 22nd, very 1980, close. 1986. So very close. Very close indeed. Alberto Salazar, I looked up a couple of things. New York Marathon is always the first week in November, so that he couldn't have done it that late, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, but, so we're, we're th- I mean, listen, for throwing darts to get it off by one day by, by Casey is actually pretty good. The man knows his sports, apparently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Casey seems to be just baffled. Dan gets a little upset, doesn't say anything. He just wants to let it go. Uh, but we continue going forward. Into the control room again, we get one of our major uh, stories of this episode, Isaac comes in seemingly a little bit concerned. He hasn't been able to get in touch with his daughter, Kathy, or his wife, Esther, in San Francisco. Esther flew out there in the morning. He hasn't heard from her. Turns out Kathy's pregnant and due in 10 days. So we've got this drama already building. And we find out that Isaac and Esther had fought in the morning before they left. So it's one of those, you know, always, always end with I love you. But apparently they were, you know, in a little hot water when she took off. And I like how Aaron Sorgan has done this in other shows as well, but he does a really nice, subtle job of setting up like light conflicts that really have more of an emotional impact later on. Like you may not think about that too much. Like, oh, Esther and I had a fight. And it's like, oh, that sucks. But you're not really, it's not really a focal point of that dialogue initially. And later on in the show, like this will come back as something that gives you a little bit more emotional depth. So I really like the setups. Absolutely. And like I said, in this episode, we'll get it from a lot of different angles, and I, li- I like that setup there. Absolutely. I was just listening to an interview with uh, a playwright today on NPR, not to be dropping. Oh, very, hobbies. very, very classy. <laughs> but I was just listening this morning on the radio to an interview with Edward Albee, the playwright who just died last week, legendary playwright, and he made a statement that every line in a play should either advance plot or tell you something about the character or it's wasted, and I feel like Sorkin follows that rule i'm sure well, he, he got some influence from albie at some point well you you talked about it in uh in in the the, the gun theory i think we talked about it in a previous episode like on ah, stage, Chekhov's like, gun yes yeah che- yeah Chekhov's gun like don't have something on stage in the first act if it's not going to have an impact 
in the second or third act or whatever. So there has to be purpose for uh, a lot of things. Edward Albee, most famously, at least what I knew him for, was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. I, and I know he's done other things, obviously, that are very famous, but that's the thing I think of immediately when, when I think of Edward Albee. And, of course, Sorkin borrowing his name with Matt Albee on Studio 60. Going back to the other main story so far, Casey asks Jeremy, what's the significance of number 23rd? And don't go into the computer. And Jeremy says, It was on this day in 534 BC that Thespis stepped out onto the stage of the theater Dionysus during a choral song and dance and became the first man to speak words as an actor in a play. So, A, the fact that apparently Google wasn't big enough to get mentioned is noteworthy. (laughs) (laughs) B, they they have no use for Google at this point, just yet. Just don't go into the computer like Jeremy was going to pull out his CD-ROM for Encarta (laughs) Encyclopedia and and look it up real quick. Yeah, no, get... I, I, bought, I bought this CD. I want to make sure. I haven't used it yet. I'm really excited about looking up November 23rd. <laughs> we find out more nerdy things about Jeremy where he knows automatically, oh, today's, uh, today's Thespis Day. I love the fact that, they, that, that when Natalie is kind of egging him on and you know, the, he goes into the conversation about various gods and things like that, Natalie's like, oh, give, you know, try another one or whatever. And when he answers it, Dana gives Natalie this look, and Natalie looks like she is like all in. Remember the previous episode, Natalie and Jeremy finally kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, hooked up for the first time. They kissed. That we feel like that's the official start of like the Jeremy Natalie relationship dynamic. And Natalie just looks like she's like, that's my guy. Like, yeah, that's my guy. He knows a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. We even find out in a few episodes that she, she likes it when he talks about, like, the weather or talks computers to her. Yeah, like, nerdy stuff. Yeah, he, <laughs> she, like, that, like, turns her on in, like, a weird kind of fetishy way, I guess. <laughs> so everyone is kind of dumbfounded by Jeremy's knowledge there. I love, uh, I love Casey's line, tell me I was supposed to know that, <laughs> which is great. And then Dan's just like, forget about it. I don't want to talk about it. But the yeah. show begins, and we have Jeremy really planting the seeds that – Hey, guys, this could be some trouble. Thespis likes to haunt and wreak havoc on performances. This can be a dangerous show for us today. And immediately Dana falls down while saying, I fear not ghosts. I fear them not. Fear them not. <laughs> your, your courage is an inspiration was a great was a great addition to that. And I, I mean, this is cool. Like, this was the first time I'd ever been introduced to, like, Greek mythology outside of the stuff that you and I just kind of learned maybe in passing in English class and things like that. I really like how immediately sold on it. Jeremy is like he it feels like he might have been waiting for this to happen anyway and he's just very happy to have the opportunity to talk about it well think about it I mean like when you like I think whatever your first reference is to an event that happens in front of you whether it's uh, your first line whether you quote a movie or you think of an event like your first reference tells me a lot about you as a person as an intellectual Uh, I think it tells me a lot about your personality based on whatever your first reference is to an event that happens in front of you and the people around you. I think mm. that's interesting. It's it's going to be a big day for them, but they just need to get through the first half hour, yep. which is which is I don't know where they came up with that term. Like it's not like the day is over, you know, they go till midnight, but we just got to make it a half hour and that's where we leave with the commercial break. 28 minutes to go. So we come back from commercial. It is mid-show. We're talking MLS, which we did pretty heavily a handful of, of episodes ago. But Dan is continuing his hate on soccer. He kicks the ball with high hopes that it will go into the net, but it does not. And I, love so, his, I love his intro for it, too. The MLS, Major League Soccer. And if you know me, you know I eat, drink, and breathe soccer. Without delay, the Miami Fusion, the D.C. United. Let's go to the action. We go back to the more dramatic storyline as Isaac continues to talk about 
Uh, now, Douglas, we get some more background about him. Douglas, his son-in-law, hasn't rehearsed the route. He keeps going on about the route and how even though he's a radar officer in the Navy, he can't find the route to Berkeley General unless he rehearses the route. Yeah, this is a very important thing for Isaac, who's who's going to be a grandfather and he wants to make sure everything's taken care of. And, and he, I like how he just kind of talks about the dynamic between uh, his daughter and his son-in-law. And you're, you really are, you really do learn a lot about Isaac and his, his personality in these last couple of episodes. I think we know a lot about him as a boss and as a uh, sympathetic person. I think we learn more about him personally uh, in these last couple of episodes, more so than ever before. I think the performance from Robert Guillaume as well is very good because even though you can tell he is seriously worried, he's also still a little bit playful. He still It shows the Isaac character's personality, like you were saying, shining through that even though this is stressful and he's really really worried he's still kind of not he's he's got a tone about him where you can just tell he's kind of like i'm just trying to calm myself down here which is all good and great until kim comes in and finally has gotten us on the phone and she'll he'll come back after talking to her in just a minute and we'll find out the bad right. news there exactly so we end up with really the first apparently on-air Thespis blooper where Dan does a wonderful Scooby-Doo impression when throwing, <laughs> when throwing it over to the Red Wings, hoping to go for a three-peat, which they would not. For more on that, we go to Tracy Heller, who's standing outside the Detroit Red Wings rocker room. Red Wings rocker room. Oh, man. <laughs> or possibly the Detroit Red Wings locker room. Take five. Tracy. Two and a half minutes back. Thespis, it's his special day. And it's after this that we find out why Dan is so upset it turns out it's it's dan and casey's anniversary their first show was on november 23rd let me take one more shot at it is it um our anniversary our anniversary our anniversary today is our anniversary geez dan out night in minneapolis with the uh jägermeister we didn't do anything untoward did we i mean did we get married yeah no good we didn't do anything untoward did we like i didn't know what exactly i had to look at an at a transcript to see exactly what he said, I was like, is untoward a word? And it's like towards, you know, like it's that spelling, U-N-T-O-W-A-R-D. So right. I didn't know exactly what he was saying until I saw that up and I looked it up and it means unexpected and inappropriate or inconvenient. <laughs> I just like too that Dan's like, you mean like get married? No. <laughs> but that was what he <laughs> went to too. But we, it turns out that, so we're getting more background about the guys here where their first show was in, in Dallas. We knew they were in Dallas at some point. It was a show right. called Lone Star Sports. Five years ago was the first time that they were on, on TV together. And, and Casey already seems, there's a response. We don't know why, but he's a little bit bugged. He's like, look, what do you want from me? What, yeah, I'm sorry. What do you, what's the problem? So something's going on. Something's boiling just below the surface, and it'll come up pretty soon. Another great line from them here. I remember what you were wearing. Do you remember what I was wearing? I remember not thinking at the time that you were a woman. Their back and forth has always been relatively playful. And this is like the first time where even while they're kind of maybe you can feel something bubbling there, anger or resentment or something like that. It's still really snappy and really clever. And uh, I do think you've, you you learn a lot about people in that regard, too. The way I said, you know, you you learn a lot about somebody's personality on their first reference. I think you also learn a lot about somebody's personality when they're agitated. And these two guys clearly, even in their agitated states, very sarcastic and clever and smart people. Yes. And also still very good professionals as they don't let this little tift they're having make its way out of the air every time we come back we're right into it they're the right yeah exactly and and you're coming back three two and, and it happens specifically later in a very well 
acted and timed example when they're getting a toss back and they're still arguing and then literally when it's like all right back to you they turn around and just go right back into doing the show i noticed another little thing here where uh one of the guys is drinking out of an Aquafina bottle, and there's little stickers all over the Aquafina logo, much like <laughs> Forbes magazine was covered and Dr Pepper and was Dr. covered. Pepper, with yeah, exactly. So that's that. I guess that's a way to get around copyright, apparently. But that was interesting. So Isaac comes back into the control room, really freaked out. Now he's worried. He's not really giving details, but he he says, "Kim, you got to get me on the next flight to San Francisco. Like hustle up." And he storms out of, to go to his office, apparently to get ready to take off. Dana's going to follow him. Natalie gets left in charge. She seems nervous. This must be the first time she's really been kind of given the reins here. But she's confident. I got this. It's okay. And and Dana runs off after Isaac. We end up in his office, and we find out the uh, the reasoning why. She's having an emergency C-section. They're doing it right now. What happened? She was cleaning the kitchen when Esther got there. Esther said she doubled over in pain and started screaming. OB said there was massive internal bleeding. She was unconscious when she got to the ER. Uh, heavy duty. A nice parallel here between uh, Kathy really wanting to impress her mother, who was who was on her way, and Dana also wanting to impress her mother with the yeah. turkey. So that's a nice little touch there. I noticed almost, you can call it a Sorkinism. I made a little note here. In Studio 60, when Jordan, towards the end of the season, yep. is having her baby, she is uh, essentially has the exact same thing, except I in... Think, I think it was preeclampsia, I think, in, in Studio 60, right? It was In Studio 60, it was, they called it placenta accretia. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, you're but right. But in, uh, in this version of it, it's just got a slightly different name, placenta previa, or previa, is what we find out... Uh, Kathy has so it sounds like it's the same diagnosis with a slightly different name maybe but another Sorkinism he knows it's serious enough to be scary yeah exactly which is perfect here so Dana's sister-in-law had it she was okay but the baby didn't make it you just see Isaac's face drop at the mention of that it's a very very kind of emotional scene which is great that we just walked out of this room where kind of things are starting to go a little bit nuts and and Thespis is raining havoc and then we walk into this office where it's just dead serious, literally life or death situations being talked about. Yeah, and I, I again, I, I praise Robert Guillaume's acting here too, as you said earlier, because to hit every emotional state from the start of the episode to now this, which is kind of like rock bottom for him while he's worried about this and he hears the terrible news from Dana about a similar situation, the shots that they have, there's a great directional job by Tommy Shlami in this where they cut back and forth between Dana and Isaac and Dana and Isaac. And it's not necessarily, they don't even say anything necessarily. It's just Mm -hmm. shots of silence and just really digs at you. And it really emphasizes how important this moment is and how scary this moment is to these two actors, specifically uh, Robert Guillaume was playing Isaac. I I just really, really like this scene, even though it was a huge down scene, like this is a sad, tough scene to deal with. I was really impressed by that. And that, direction really did a good job the cuts and the editing in this was really really well done also some credit to uh felicity huffman for holding her own she's able to really convey that calming voice in this really scary moment just very very like almost soothing on or trying to soothe isaac just saying yeah you know just hey it's it'll be okay we'll find out what happens like she's very very good at, at playing that it's almost like she's being a producer still but just in a different sense where she's like it's under control don't worry 
We go back into the control room, though, to find out things are going haywire as we find out all the things that have gone wrong. Thank God. What's going on? We blew the queue at 44. Well, that's not so bad. Anything else? We had the wrong VO at 42, the wrong Chiron at 50, and we would have had 20 seconds of dead air at 55 if Casey hadn't have been thinking on his feet. Well, what do you do? I think it was the St. Crispin's Day speech. I'm not sure. And while all of this is happening, water is dripping on the desk inexplicably. We know why, and moments after they go to a commercial break, uh, and Dana comes in to yell at everybody to get things together and get over the whole Thespis thing, down comes the turkey, smack dab onto the desk. That was, and that was the kind of slapstick I was expecting. I didn't think the turkey was going to fall from the desk or from the, uh, from the ceiling onto the desk, but this is, I guess, the type of fitting slapstick that you, that, that you and I kind of thought maybe this was the setup for. And uh, that's exactly what ended up happening. And again, more professionalism from Dan and Casey as the water is dripping down and they're still like maneuvering things while they're <laughs> off camera and then slowly shifting to get back on camera. And that is definitely something that happens on a very regular basis when you're sitting at the anchor desk or when you're on camera during a game and then they take you off camera to like show video or something like that. And that'll be the moment where I'm like, oh, I should probably adjust my tie. I got to put this thing behind my back. Let me get a quick drink of water. All that stuff happens in those very, very short moments where you're not on camera, where you're going to be coming back on. And in this case, we're catching butterball condensation <laughs> in a Dixie cup. Yeah. Is it, so is it water or is it, it might be some kind of uh, salmonella-esque liquid? Oh, it's it's nothing, you wanna, nothing you want to touch. So I, exactly. guess kinda, I really enjoy the almost non-reaction out of all of them, too, when it falls. Dana kind of jerks her shoulders up, but the rest of them are kind of like, okay. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> so calm. Like, uh, is that the 24-pound turkey that you were talking about? Because if something's falling from the ceiling, like, I don't know what it is. I'm leaping out of the way of it. I'm not standing <laughs> around waiting to see what that is. We also get a little more biography for Dana here. She is 33 years old, she reveals. So that puts us right in where we where we thought they were. I think we were putting Casey at about 35-ish, right? And so yep. they were in college together. We find out she is 33, which is actually very impressive that she is the executive producer of a, of a major network uh, TV show at 33, well, yeah, I would say. Absolutely. I think Jeremy mentioned that, too, uh, in the last episode when he was giving Dana's, you know, quote-unquote biography at her age. You know, it's a very impressive thing for a woman her age to be in, that, in the position that she's in. So, obviously, yeah, and you, when you are 33 and you're running a show like that, that's, that is a legitimately big deal. We get uh, a little stinger at the end of this scene where Dana just calmly kind of goes, clears her throat and says, well, clearly I'm going to be taking crap from my mother <laughs> as we go into a commercial. We come back from that commercial and uh, the show's still rolling. We're getting there. Things are happening. And we end up kind of getting into what is some of my favorite Dan and Casey background and, and yeah. information. We get teased it a little bit where Dan is really prying. What was wrong with you that day? You were Something was weird on that first show we did today. Yeah. And uh, he says, was it because of Conan's show? We don't quite get enough to find out why, but we will find out pretty soon. We also get a nice throwback to our friend Jason Grissom. Yes. I like that they kept uh, the continuity going here, where he pled no contest to that old Cavassier assault. <laughs> well, uh, apparently, as Casey said, it was it was a fine cognac. So I guess we have our, our lockdown on that answer. It was a fine cognac, even though Cavassier is cognac. <laughs> apparently, that's what we're going with. I have a note here about uh, we were just you were just talking about the framing of shots and and the directing. There's some weird like Dutch angle low shots going on when Dan and Casey are fighting with each other here. That's I mean it definitely plays into the vibe that's going on this kind yeah. of tension, but it seemed really out of place and sort of strange. But 
I mean, I guess because I felt what what Tommy Shalami was going for, it worked. But it was, I definitely stuck out to me that there were these sort of just Dutch angle. That's the way to describe it. That kind of crooked frame, low angle, looking low up at angle, them like, yep. "No, leave me alone!" Ah, like screaming at each other. Like you're kind of almost in the middle or in between them while they're fighting, and you're, you know, like that's almost the the point of view of you know some like a lowly intern who would be like by the desk near those two and kind of looking up at them while they're going back and forth and it's just you, like it really puts you in to the middle of that fight i so i think that's what i i think that's what he he was going for and i agree with you on that it was a little odd i i wrote that down as well it was a little jarring but uh i, I agree with you. i think that's what he was probably going for at that point we have Casey kind of storm away, finds out he's got a few minutes. Dan's got like two and a half minutes by himself. So he's going to take a walk and he's going to go off to Isaac's office. So we get the scene change as he goes in there. A great exchange between them. A nice moment here. And we really find out the background of the Isaac and Esther fight and what that was all about. She said I wasn't showing enough enthusiasm about the baby. Oh, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. I've been feeling my age. I was rude to my son-in-law. I said to my daughter, Kathy, that I was too young to be a grandfather. What the hell kind of thing is that to say to your daughter? Anyway, I'm sorry we fought this morning. In a funny way, Danny and I are having the same fight right now. Only he doesn't know it's about a fight that Lisa and I had five years ago. You've never told him, have you? You gotta learn to show people how you feel about him, Casey. Why do I have to prove it to him? Because he feels like a consolation prize. He's not. So it's a nice moment between these two guys. It shows, again, that that kind of fatherly relationship, that kind of give a gesture. That's some great advice that he gives yeah. there. And just, like, let, let the people that you love and appreciate know that you love and appreciate them, even if it's something really tiny. That's really nice, right? Yeah, I think that, I think this is a really important just graph that, that Isaac gives. So you say a few words. You make a gesture. You remember an important date. Small price to pay for what you get in return. But what you get in return, it's a steal. The rest is all vanity. And I think a great line is Isaac's mentioned that, well, Dan feels like a consolation prize. Because we yeah. got this hint that, oh, Casey maybe wanted to get Conan's show, didn't get it, so he had to settle with Lone Star. Even Dan will bring that up in, in the next scene himself and say, like, well, I guess I'm just, like, second place, right? But yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's how he feels. And, and I love what I, like, it was crystal clear. Like, Isaac clearly knows. Isaac clearly knows about all of this. Yeah, he even says, you never told him, did you? You, know, you never told him, did you? As if he already knew the entire story, and Casey always gave his side of it and never let Dan in on why exactly the reasoning was that he didn't take the show. So I really do like it. And I guess it's a precursor to uh, what we see in the West Wing, kind of that Sorkin, I guess this is uh, the half of Sorkinism maybe, with the hug. And there's that scene in uh, the West Wing where Leo and Josh are talking. Your apology is accepted. What are you doing? It looked like you wanted to hug me. Oh, man, did you read that wrong? I, I, I thought that was that was kind of interesting. Maybe maybe a little bit of a parallel there. I was going to hug you. Oh, please don't. It was a gesture. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Some also a nice touch of writing here where... It's it's more of that kind of reverse dramatic irony, which I guess is all storytelling, really. But where those two clearly know the story, we don't still yet, right? We yes. have Isaac say, "You never told him," as if it, I mean, we know we're going to find out, and it just makes you kind of lean forward, like, "What is the story here? What's exactly. been going on?" Yeah. They're really building up to it, which uh, which is a good good way to just keep us invested throughout. As we head into our our last scene, we go back to the control room, 
and hear Dana just kind of flipping out a little bit about how terrible Thanksgiving will be with her mom coming. And it's going to be the greatest hits, including everyone's favorite songs, Why Aren't You Married? And Sports Isn't the Place for an Educated Woman. <laughs> and Why Didn't Anyone Ever Teach You How to Cook a Turkey? And so, I love I love Jeremy's retort. Like, well, on the turkey front, you may have a reasonable point. <laughs> uh, and then they follow it up by asking, you know, like, what what's the point? What is Thespis? Why does Thespis exist? And I love Jeremy's response. Well, by and large, the mission of any ghost is to offer humility. They point out what's important by mocking what is not. I think a lesson we could probably all stand <laughs> to uh, stand to lean on a little bit more often, uh, worrying about stuff that is important and not taking uh, the things that aren't that important so seriously. I think that's a, an important lesson at that. It's it's a nice touch, too, that this really silly Thespis storyline that has so far had falling turkeys and falling Dana Whitakers yeah. and all this weird stuff. And now as this as they finish that little little moment there, the the transmission going dead for a minute, it's all these like really funny moments, but it's also there for a purpose where we get this nice lesson. Appreciate the people. Like she, as uh, Jeremy will go on to say later on that you're underestimating your mother. She's gonna love you no matter what, right? And that's what Thespis wants to point out that you get a nice message out of it, and it isn't just played for the silliness and for the laughs. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, Dana always has her end snap in there, too, for a guy who's read The Hobbit 14 times. You're not so dumb. <laughs> like, uh, you know, that was OK, too. But I, I, I think this is a great scene just to set up uh, uh, just the, to finish off what we've been building towards with Dan and Casey. Obviously, we're going to get the Isaac situation resolved, but just all there's a lot of build up again. So all the purposeful, even the little things that were maybe not hitting you as hard early in this episode they're all very purposeful and they're all coming together now to try to finish off the episode which i really like it's a great example of that that dovetailing where everything really will come together even if it seems so disconnected at the beginning it's gonna it all get resolved in a way that makes sense and and gives you a really satisfying ending at the end and so that satisfaction comes thanks again to this transmission center going dead not just for the thespis laugh it also gives dan and casey a minute to talk so they can officially kind of hash it out with this here uh, and we find out that, indeed, Casey was offered late night instead of Conan O'Brien. They offered it to Casey McCall, and he turned it down. And, and that's incredible. Uh, and, and Dan's so incredulous. Uh, you know, you passed on your own network show to work with me in Dallas. Are you kidding me? And, I mean, he, that, he finally puts two and two together and realizes this seems to be what kind of tore or started to tear Casey and his ex-wife Lisa apart. That's, and that's that's kind of powerful to to find that out together with these two guys with with Dan really is when is who we find it out with. Oh yeah, it's it's the beginning of the end as he says, and I really like I, I really like Josh Charles' performance here as well, where he he gets into Lisa must have gone ballistic. Like he really you see the gears turning as he figures yeah. it out, and he really gets serious and says, "You've been good. You've been great." Like he's he's just baffled that he would turn down this show. And Casey says, "Well, it was clear we were going national." No, it wasn't. Like he had no reason to turn this down. He just had a exactly. hunch, kind of. He and, wanted and, to be with his friend. And, and I think the the line that he says about you know Lisa, like, what did that woman do to your confidence? And you can kind of tell that with Casey, like, because we've seen flashes of that. There's there's this. I, I feel like Casey should be so confident as a person. Like he should be like he would. He should walk around like he owns the place. He's supremely talented good looking guy who's got a great career he's got a you know a son he's got a great job and all this stuff and i feel like he should be walking around very happily and he's not and he and you wonder where does this this insecurity and some of this awkwardness come from and and this is what it comes from 
and I don't blame them. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, male or female, have taken tremendous hits to their self-confidence when they go through a breakup or a divorce or anything like that. And I guess you can kind of see the origin of all of that because we, you know, we've said it, Dan's cool and Casey's not, even though Casey should probably be cool. And (laughs) this might be part of the reason why we, we feel that from him in this, uh, in this series so far. I think it's a good comparison to have Casey next to Conan because they're both kind of dorks that are really endearing and you like them a lot, but I don't think anyone would accuse either of them of being like the cool guy, but they're still like really, really super likable, awesome dudes you would want to be friends with. Yeah, I guess I guess that is a good point. So maybe maybe Casey legitimately is not cool, but he's certainly. Oh no, he. I mean, you're right about everything you just said is 100 percent true. But like, he's he's sort of goofy cool. <laughs> yeah, like like Conan. Like there's, there's no better way to describe Conan than goofy cool. Um, and this also I think clearly shows more of that parallel between Casey and uh, Craig Kilborn because he would go on to have exactly late night shows. So that's that's more of that comparison to real life right there. And they've and they've referenced that a couple times in in the writing and in, in the postscript, all that too. We get another high five there, which is great between the guys. That quick little sideways. It was, it was a very five. awkward looking sideways high five, though. Can we both agree on that? It's very awkward, but it's like that's their move because they're stuck at the desk, kind of. Yeah. So exactly. I'm here. You can't see me, but I'm I'm waving my arm out like crazy. <laughs> I'm doing like a side slap here. We have Isaac come into the control room. Uh, all smiles. The baby is fine. Six pounds eight ounces. Named Matthew, and he starts passing out cigars. He gives the cigars to Dan and Casey. One of my favorite images from the show yep. of all time. The kind of si- hey, the weird smile they give. <laughs> I almost expect them to go like kind of sound like the penguin there. Oh you know, yeah, like the penguin has like the side, the, the cigar on the side of his right. <laughs> you know, like one of those types of things. That's the but perfect, yeah, that's they look perfect like. sound effect for it right there. <laughs> we find out that the. Transmission will be back in about 30 seconds, and fortunately, in comes Elliot with news that Frank and Kathy Lee Gifford were accepting a humanitarian award, and Kathy Lee Gifford fell into a plate of tapioca. <laughs> <So> <laughs> just this strange moment where she's walking across the stage at the Sheridan, takes a tumble into some tapioca, and this makes everyone just erupt with joy that Thespis has left the building. He's all the way across town, so they will be able to finish the show with ease. I really... Uh, Wish I would have gone back while doing this to see, like, to time it out because we we mentioned earlier that they said they wanted to get through just the first half hour, and we as we pan out uh, and get the title card at the end of the episode here, we see that they have just crossed into the half hour mark of of this that particular episode. So I wonder if it more or less played out in real time or not. Right there, with that happens very early in the episode. So was that about twenty two minutes worth of of them running around or or not? It was uh, yeah, certainly fairly close. Yeah, I mean, not, without putting a Jack Bauer timer on it, you know, in real time stuff. But yeah, I think you're right. That is about as close as we've gotten to a truly real time episode. It's a, it's a good one. I think we've been saying, like you said, we've been saying this as we go further and further. This is such a great episode, and it is. It's it's like I, as I said at this point, the one where I was like, oh, if you've never seen Sports Night, check this one out. It's that that bottle episode format where we're just in the studio, we're just hanging around in our our main three or four locations but it's it feels so much bigger because there's so much story happening yeah and i think we get to learn a lot about people's personalities within short and again because you you find so much so much about dan and casey and delving into their relationship that much more if you knew nothing about dan and casey and then you watch this episode you'd feel like wow these are two guys who are particularly close they're very sharp they're very witty and they have a deep and rich history together and if you didn't know anything about Isaac, you know that he's a strong, sensitive boss who ha- has deep and important thoughts about his family and, and advice for his friends. 
you've established so much about all of these characters in a very short amount of time. I think that's why this would be the the show somebody this episode to give them a sense of this series type of episode. Uh, I recall you previewing a little mention of a particular token that you've got that ties uh, into Thespis. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's not so much direct tie to Thespis as just the the being the god of a lot of different things and Jeremy's run about Thespis being the god of you know all of these various subjects. So Thespis is the Roman god of theater? That's exactly right, except he's not Roman and he's not a god. What is he? He's Greek and he's a ghost. Who's Artemis? Artemis? Yes. Artemis is goddess of the moon, the hunt, chastity, and fertility. Ooh, your boy knows his mythology. Give him another one. Athena. 30 seconds. Goddess of wisdom, the arts, and war. Mercury. God of commerce, wrestling, gymnastics, thieving, good luck, sleep, wealth, and dreams. Wow. There's a god of thieving? There's a god of gymnastics? Yes, indeed. That was the first time I'd really like, learned anything about Greek mythology and Greek gods and things like that. And that there's a god of gymnastics? There's a god of gymnastics, <laughs> among other things. So my connection to this is kind of funny. My mom got me a little pendant. And it's uh, for Hermes, who was a god in Greek mythology and was one of the sons of Zeus. And he is, among other things, the god of sports and oratory. And obviously, that's a direct tie into what I do. So I thought it was a really nice gift. Uh, and the god of, god of sports and talking, which is what I do. I talk about sports. And uh, I thought that was a really cool gift. And as soon as I got it, I go, huh, Thespis. And my mom didn't know exactly what that meant. And... <laughs> That was my first reference when somebody gave me a gift that involved Greek mythology. That was my first reference to it. Thespis, because that was the first time I'd ever really <laughs> learned anything about gods and what they relate to outside of like, you know, your, your, your big ones like, you know, Hercules and Athena and stuff like that. Very cool. That does tie in very, very well. And it's like the perfect emblem for you, as you said. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a cool gift. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. Next week, we got a, a great episode coming up, The Quality of Mercy at 29K. This is one of uh, one of the best, maybe most preachy episodes, and I know Aaron Sorkin gets a little bit of uh, flack for being too preachy at times, but I think it's really one of the nice uh, lesson episodes that, that I've taken a lot out of. And we're also excited because in the next uh, few weeks, we'll start conducting a few more interviews, and we'll get some guests on Those Stories Plus, including Daniel Bramlett of the SEC Network and ESPN. So we get to go into the mind and uh, workings of an actual producer of television and on particularly on studio sports shows and uh we'll also talk with nicole auerbach of usa today with uh, some of the things that are happening uh in the country in terms of mixing of sports and politics i thought she'd be perfect to talk to and uh talk about some of these various subjects with uh especially considering how much sports and politics have mixed and they will continue to mix actually when we get a couple of episodes further down the road in sports night <laughs> lots to look forward to here so thank you guys uh for listening this is uh those stories plus you can as always follow us all over social media our handle is pretty much always at those stories pod you can follow adam at adam amin and i'm at sjcim although i don't think i've made a single update <laughs> since we've started doing the show still that being said you can still do it anyway you, you can, can still follow you can, and, of course, you can check out our website at thosestoriespod.weebly.com, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. All right. Thank you guys very much, and we will talk to you next time.